kindergarten through fifth grade. You guys can come up. Preschoolers or toddlers can come up too. Any students, go ahead and come on up right up here. I know there's not as many of you, but you still get candy. So come on up. Perfect. Very good. All right. So uh, as part of the kids' message, as you guys know, I like to start off with a question. So the question is this. Have you ever had to work hard for something? No? You've never had to work hard for anything? No? <laughs> no, what about, well, you're still young yet. You've got plenty of years to work hard. What about you guys? You guys have, have you ever had to work hard for something? Yes. What have you had to work hard for? Yes. To get allowance. To get allowance. Money, right? So what, what, are, what do you do for your allowance at home? You put away your own laundry? Wow. Could I give you an allowance? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Very good. No, that's awesome. Yeah, it's hard work, right? Doing chores and things like that. Yeah. You had to work for, oh, for your Nintendo Switch. <gasps> what an amazing deal. I wonder if I could get that here. No, I'm kidding. But no, that's awesome. So, so you worked hard, and then uh, was it like you had to work for a couple months, and then you got your Switch? That's awesome. So you had to work really hard for an entire to get your Nintendo Switch. Well, the Bible, so, so the Apostle Paul tells us, and, he gives, and today he gives an example, that we all have to work hard. Sometimes we even have to suffer to follow Jesus, right? That following God is not always easy, but he tells us, and he gives us three main examples that he wants to show us today about people who work hard to get something in the end, okay? The first is a soldier, and I'm going to go ahead and read, and we're going to hear all three right here. This is 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. Now share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. All right, so Paul gives us three mental pictures of people who work hard. Okay, so the first is a soldier. Now, there's a lot of ways that soldiers work hard, and there's a lot of things that soldiers work for. But right here, he says that a soldier works. Did you guys hear? Why does a soldier work so hard for? Driving planes. That could be one way that they work hard. Uh, but it's to get approval from their commander, right? So it's soldiers and the army and warriors is a very clear chain of command where someone told him to do something, so he wants to do it, right? The Bible says that the guy who actually put him in charge, his enlisting warrior, has ways that he wants, has things he wants him to do. And that soldier has to stay so focused, so he can't do anything else. He has to stay focused on that one job. Do you get pretty distracted when you do chores? Yeah. I get super distracted when I do chores. Okay, I'll be honest with you. So, so that's one of the big things that we have to stay focused, and that's what a soldier does. Then he talks about an athlete. Now, did you guys know that we have championship teams in Minnesota? We really do. We actually have winners. It's not the Vikings or the Wild, although this is the Wild's year. I believe it. Okay, um, but uh, it's the Lynx. So we actually had the Lynx. Did you guys know that our women's, our WNBA team have won four championships? Did you not? They did an amazing job, right? So the Lynx are actually championship teams. Now, uh, to win the trophies, to win the awards, do they have to work hard? But Paul says something very clear. They have to work hard according to the what? The rules, right? According to the rules. So here's the thing. Not that any professional athlete would ever deflate a ball or do anything like that. Uh, but sometimes athletes cheat. And do you know what happens when that happens? They get foul or... 
they get their trophies taken away. Did you guys know that sometimes gold medals and other trophies can actually be taken away from athletes? Because they cheated. So Paul says, no, no, no. For an athlete to gain the trophy, to gain the reward, they have to play according to the rules and work hard to get there. And then finally, he talks about a vine dresser or, or a farmer. And specifically, he says a vine dresser because it's one who has grapes or one who makes fruit. And at the very end of working so, so hard, that farmer is able to take that grape right out the vine and go and pop it right in. Have you, have you guys, have you ever picked berries? Have you done berry picking? Have you grown the berries and then picked them? No, I haven't. I've always just picked everybody else's. Like the farmer grows them and I just go pick what they did, right? <laughs> right? But it's not easy. But Paul says, listen, let's look at the soldier. Let's look at the athlete. Let's look at the farmer. And let's take those now to the Christian life. Living for God is not always easy. Following Jesus is not always easy. But there are rewards. There are prizes. Did you know that? There are rewards for following God. And today we're going to look at, during the message, we're going to look at two rewards. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to the sermon. This is going to be really hard work for you, okay? So listen to the sermon. And if at the end of the sermon, you can tell me two rewards that you get for living for God, you'll get another sucker. So you'll get one now, and you'll get one after service if you pay attention, okay? It's going to be hard work. Are you ready for it? Good. All right, let's pray. God, I just thank you for these young men and women who seek to know you and love you and serve you. And Father, I just ask that you continue to reveal who you are to them and that you would continue to call them to your good, gracious love. We love you, Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, you can come get suckers. Here you go. All right, so each of you get one. And then again, if you guys remember those two rewards, you can get more after service. And now everyone else, let's please turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is where we're going to be today. Again, this is our series in 2 Timothy, How Will You Endure for Our Lord? And you were with us last week. We covered just that first part of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And Paul says this, and I want to zoom back in here. This was our memory verse for last week. It says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So now last week we talked about that suffering, enduring for God is not an easy thing. And one of the ways that we endure for God is we suffer, not only as being saved, but we actually suffer in that holy calling. We suffer in the things that God has set us apart to do. And yet, in the end of all things, I know for, for you and I'm sure for myself as well, that we desire to hear God simply take us aside and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We desire and we ache to hear the Lord say, well done. And for us to be able to look back at our lives and say, it was worth it. It was worth it. And that's the idea, that's the mindset I want us to take into our, into our minds and hearts today as we go back into 2 Timothy, is that here at the end of Paul's life, Paul is now encouraging and writing to Timothy, and he's saying, it was worth it. I'm in prison now, I am about to die, literally, he is just days away from his execution, he is about to die, and he can say boldly and lovingly to Timothy, it was worth it. So don't be ashamed of me, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of, of the gospel. Certainly don't be ashamed of me, of its prisoner. Be unashamed and be bold because it is worth it. 
And so today we're going to look at, well, but how? Like, yes, we saw last week that we, we suffer and that's one way that we endure is actually suffering for the Lord in the way that he designed it, that we suffer in our salvation and we suffer in the good works and the call and the, and the holy calling that he has called us by his power. But we also endure through strength in Jesus alone. Look at today's memory verse. It says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? How do we find strength in the journey? Well, we find strength very simply in who Jesus is. We find strength in our relationship with him. And through that relationship with Jesus, in the end, we can say it was worth it. See, years ago, uh, I was actually both a double major in uh, pastoral studies and theater arts, actually, at Northwestern College, and so I just planned basically never to make money. Um, but as a double major, uh, I did a lot of theater stuff. And here's the thing, you know, and, and some of you who may maybe know theater or artist circles, uh, you work extremely hard, not just the actors, but the directors, the costume designers, the makeup artists, the technicians, the lighting, the sound, all of them work extremely hard, day after day after day, building sets, painting, getting everything everything ready and set, sometimes for just a few performances. And now whether it's during that performance or at the end of the performance, or sometimes it's even uh, actually as you are just in character and you're feeling that emotion, that sense in the room, you get that idea of it's worth it. And I know we've all been there, whether it's through athletics or through art or through uh, helping somebody else or just serving, or even uh, if it's just something as simple as a hobby, we've all had that moment say, you know what? It was worth it. I had a friend in college or right outside of college who used to use the phrase, is the juice worth the squeeze? And the idea there was is that fresh squeezed orange juice is delicious. It is so good. If you've ever had fresh squeezed juice, even lemonade, it is so good. It is way better than anything you're ever going to get at the store. But it takes a lot of hard work to get there. It is not so easy. It is much easier to get orange juice from concentrate. You just throw in the frozen block and pour some water and stir it around. Fresh squeezed juice is way harder, and yet it is so much better. And so the question is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it worth it to work so hard for the Lord? Why do we do it? How do we find strength in the grace of Jesus Christ to move forward? With that, let's jump in, and we're going to look at how Paul leads us in that discussion here today. So let's, again, pray, and then start in 2 Timothy 1, starting with verse, uh, actually, we'll start with verse 13. So, Father, I thank you. And Lord, I do ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand that you cause us, Jesus, to know you, to hear you, to respond to you, and that you get the glory for it. We love you, Jesus. Cause my words to be your words, and Lord, be glorified. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 13, to go a little bit back of where we were last week. So follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Remember, we saw that Jesus Christ entrusted this message to Paul. Paul entrusted this message to Timothy, that is the gospel. And now he says, guard that good deposit entrusted to you. Verse 15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refer, refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched earnestly for me and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. 
and you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and whatever you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, the first way that Timothy, or that Paul encourages Timothy, and so through him encourages us to endure and being strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ is by trusting, finding strength in trusting him and others. Now, trusting others is not always easy because, as Paul is about to point out, sometimes they fail us. You see, remember, all last week we talked about Paul kept on saying, be unashamed, be unashamed, be unashamed. Oh, by the way, let me give you an example of two who are now shamed. How would you like to have your name forever written in the Bible as to falling short? Ouch. Right? What a judgment that Paul here names them by name and says, these two guys failed. These two guys fell short. These two guys were ashamed. Don't be that guy. Right? So verse 15, you are aware that all who are in Asia, and he, and he uses hyperbole here. It wasn't everybody, but for Paul, it felt like everybody. And maybe you felt that way. When we get betrayed sometimes in the church or sometimes when Christians and Christian leaders disappoint us or fail us, Sometimes it can feel like the whole church is against us. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you, by the grace of God, wandered back in, but you have been so wounded in your past by church and by Christians that you are here only by the grace of God, by the skin of your teeth. You don't want to be here because you're just so disappointed when people fail you. Because it feels like everybody. It may have been one or two, but it feels like all. And that's where Paul is right now. He's in prison, and he feels like that everyone in Asia, all the disciples, all those who had been following with him and for him, have abandoned him. Now, it wasn't all of them, but it certainly was a lot of them. And these two specifically, he names, he says, Phagalaeus and Hermogenes, he says, these two, they have so deeply wounded Paul that he names them by name. He says, it hurts. And maybe that's where you are. And maybe you've trusted the people of God and you have been wounded. But I would encourage you, what Paul is about to do, to do the same. But focus then on those who you have trusted and have proven faithful. You see, he certainly has felt abandoned. Paul certainly has, has trusted people and they have failed him. And yet, look at what Onesiphorus has done. Paul says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Now, he says the whole household, and that's an important thing. So that might mean that Onesiphorus could be actually a church planter or a church leader. He may have a house church meeting in his home. Uh, it very well could be just when he says household, that it could just be his house, his family, his people. Whatever it is, because of this one man's actions, Paul asks for blessings from God on all those in his house. So you might ask, okay, well, what did Onesiphorus did? How did he show that he was not ashamed? How did he live for God well in Paul's ministry? Well, look at this, verse 16. He often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. But actually, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly. The Greek there is that, that he searched diligently and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. That's the day of end all days. And you will know, and you also well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Here's a few things about Onesiphorus. First of all, he was not ashamed and he refreshed Paul. Now, we don't know if it was physical refreshment. It seems probably not as likely because he was in prison, at least emotional, relational refreshment. So who are the believers in your life that have refreshed you? 
You know, sometimes we, we undercut how important it is to just simply be blessed. A hug, a good, well-meaning, earnest smile. People that have refreshed us and love us. I think that was one of the things actually that COVID amplified. That when we were able to, that when we were forced to be apart and then come back together, how refreshing it was just to be with each other again. Thank you, God, that we have other people, right, to be around each other, and just the refreshing that comes from that. But even more than that, Paul was blessed by Onesiphorus because he searched earnestly for Paul. Now, this was not just Paul was blown away because he worked hard to find him. Remember, Paul was in prison in Rome. If you have a guy who's arrested for being a Christian, and you have another guy running around trying to find that Christian guy, Odds are is the guy searching is a Christian. So here Onesiphorus was risking his own life trying to bless Paul, trying to find Paul to bless him and be with him. And he did it. He searched diligently in order to find him. And then Paul says, God, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, that day, that yonder day being final judgment day, the day that we all must give an account before the Lord. And Paul says, may Onesiphorus be blessed for he is a faithful one and then as if that was not enough paul then drives it home to timothy so yes you know paul says timothy this is how i was blessed by onus virus but you yourself right pastor of ephesus know how much he served you at ephesus be encouraged right he says timothy look at what it looks like to have one who is unashamed be unashamed and then we move to verse one of chapter two. You then, my child, in light of these examples of those who have fallen short and the one who did amazing, in light of those examples, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Just pause there. He says, you then, my child, this beautiful, intimate term. Again, remember, Paul was not biologically connected to Timothy, but his discipleship relationship was so beautiful, was so intimate, that Paul here can call him my child. Do you have someone like that in your life? That they could look at you and say, you are my spiritual child. Or maybe someone that you can look in their life and say, I love you like a father or mother love their son or daughter. This spiritual childhood. He says, you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This isn't just the gospel. This is Jesus himself, that you can know Jesus personally. And the question is, do you? Do you know Jesus? Do you spend time every day connecting with him, praying to him, listening to him, searching his word? Do you spend time meeting and knowing Jesus? Because if you do, the grace that is in Christ Jesus will strengthen you. But not only do you know him, not only do I urge you to trust in him, but then once you've trusted in him, God then compels us even further to trust his people. Verse 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. Right, that's what we had already talked about, that Jesus Christ met with Paul directly, gave him his gospel message. Paul took that gospel message, proclaimed it as I am doing to you right now in front of other faithful people who listened and paid attention. And Paul says, Timothy, now that gospel, that good deposit that has been entrusted to you, Give it to others. Entrust it 
to others. God has given it to Paul. Paul has given it to Timothy. Timothy now give it to other faithful men. And then he says this, this faithfulness, and, 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 and what's so important about this is that Paul says, entrust it to others, but not just to anybody. See, today again is serve Sunday, and this is such a critical time for our church because this is a time where you are able to lean in to not only salvation, but lean into what God has called you in that holy calling and purpose to edify the church to build the saints, to build one another up into the head who is Christ. That's Ephesians 4. That God has given us this opportunity to serve. That serving is for him, ultimately. And when you serve, you entrust others with the gospel that you have been given. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor in Wisconsin... Uh, I, I went in as the first full-time youth pastor at this church, and there was like a youth group of like five kids, and th- so I thought, okay, I'm the only youth leader. I wasn't married at the time, so I was just, okay, I'm just going to build a relationship with these five and build these disciples, and, and that's just how we're going to go. So that's what I did. So then fast forward about four or five years, and the youth group was now about 40, 50 kids, and there was a ton of different uh, leaders and volunteers who were involved and would help out and things like that. And I thought, okay, we're four or five years in. Now is the time where I want to start really training in and trusting and equipping and giving away this ministry to these leaders. In fact, actually, I had uh, my very last year, I knew it would be my last year, so I actually planned uh, and put in the budget to take these leaders to a conference, and then the elders actually cut my budget before it went up to, to, um, uh, for, for approval, and I said, you know, what happened? And literally, one of the elders told me um, that, well, we didn't hire them, we hired you. Ah, oh, but I'm leaving and you don't know it. So, so uh, but the thing was, is that I, I, I wanted to entrust and pass this ministry on to other leaders. So I tried to encourage these leaders to step up, to teach, to lead, to lead groups, to do these things, to make disciples. They wouldn't do it. They were terrified of it. So many of these leaders said, well, well we can't do what you do. We can't teach like you teach. We can't lead groups. We can't talk to people about Jesus. And I said, you've seen me do it for four or five years. You've been with me. You know how to do it. And more importantly, you have Jesus. He has made you. He has gifted you. So just simply do what he's called you to do. Don't be like me. Be like you. Just be the disciples Christ has called you to be and make disciples. But they wouldn't do it because they were so stuck that they had to do it, that they couldn't be me. So then fast forward when we moved to Cheyenne and the Lord had me as an associate there where it was over lots of ministries. Uh, so I had to, a lot of responsibility. So I literally couldn't do everything. I couldn't be the player. I had to be a coach. And so then over the youth ministry, uh, when I came in, the, the youth ministry at that time had actually been uh, run by, by an elder as a point person, but it was run all by volunteers. The volunteers rotated everything, leading games, leading worship, leading prayer, leading the lessons, uh, leading the small groups. The leaders, the volunteers did it all. And I just said, hey, could I keep doing that? Could, we, could I just let them do it? Could I just entrust them and teach them and train them, but just have them keep doing it? And the elders at Cheyenne just said, well, yeah, you don't have to do it. Just oversee them doing it and trust them. And I tell you, that changed the whole flavor of that entire ministry because the volunteers from the very beginning knew it was their ministry. It wasn't mine. It wasn't the elders. It was what God had called them to. So the question is, what is God calling you to today? How has God brought you? Why has God brought you to serve and edify in this church? And if he has, how are you entrusting others to do it as well? 
Who are you calling alongside of you? Who are you calling to raise up with you? If you especially are a ministry leader or a director, who are you passing that to? Who are you entrusting with the gospel? Because here Paul says, even before he gets into all the, the explanation of how Timothy is to lead, he simply says, Timothy, trust others. Trust in Jesus, but trust in his people. And again, these aren't just warm bodies. He doesn't just say, just give it to anybody. Anybody who signs up, sure, they can have it. Just have them run with it. No, he says, give it to faithful ones, faithful men. And then he goes into further, and he says, these faithful ones who are able to teach others. Now, specifically, I believe that's talking about elders in the church, but those who can teach. So it's not just giving it to warm bodies. If, if you just feel like pressure because you feel like, oh, no, they don't have this person, and I could do that, please don't. Do ministries that God has called you to do. Pray, listen, ask, look at your gifts, look at your abilities, look at the things you're strong in, and step into those ministries. Don't just be a warm body. Be one who is faithful and dedicated to serving the Lord. And that's just the first step. To being strengthened is, yes, finding strength and trusting Jesus and his faithful ones, but it's also suffering for the sake of Jesus and his faithful ones. You see, there's reward in the suffering. As we talked about last week, serving in ministry is hard. It is not easy. It takes sacrifice. And here Paul again says, verse 3, that share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, that is a warrior of Jesus. One who is committed to battling, right? Because we're in a spiritual war, by the way. Maybe you don't know that. There's a war zone right here, right now. Not out there, here. There's a war zone. The enemy hates us. He does not want us. And he certainly doesn't want us praising and serving the Lord. He does not want us in this place. And as such, yet, you have given your life to Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, you have committed to fighting for him. He has enlisted you. He has called you. And as a good soldier, it's going to be hard. It's going to suffer. And then Paul goes into the three metaphors that we talked about with the kids' message. That then he calls you as a soldier to be so beeline focused on pleasing your commanding officer, pleasing the one who enlisted you, to be so committed to doing it the right way, to playing by the rules, to achieve the prize at the end, to working hard as a toiling farmer, to gain those first fruits at the end, to work at it, to suffer, to press forward. But why? Ultimately, for the sake of Jesus and his people. Look at verse 7 and 8. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. You see, first of all, and maybe you understand this very personally, following Jesus is not easy. Frankly, sometimes it's really hard to understand. Sometimes the Bible is hard to understand. Sometimes suffering and pain and agony as you're serving Jesus is hard to understand. When you give your life to him and things get more difficult, when you give your life to him and you go through some of the greatest tragedies you could ever imagine, it is hard. And then Paul says, but look to the Lord. In your suffering, in your service, look to the Lord and he will give you understanding. But even in that, as you look to him for understanding, remember also what he went through. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. 
right? Divine. He rose from the dead, and yet he's also the offspring of David. He is the Messiah. He is the called one. He is the anointed one. He is the one that was promised thousands of years that we look to Jesus to know him, that why do you suffer? This is reward number one, by the way, kids, if you're paying attention. Reward number one is to know Jesus, to understand and know Jesus. But then reward number two it's so that others know Jesus. You see, there's a reward in knowing Jesus, obviously, and yet there's also great reward that the fruit that we get, the pleasure we get, the prize we get is not just knowing Jesus, it's seeing others coming to know Jesus. It's the church being the church. Look at verses 10, or verses 9 and 10. And I'll say eight again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, verse nine, for which I am suffering. Remember, Paul is suffering for the gospel. Paul is suffering because he's telling people about Jesus. Paul is suffering because he is taking this gospel message and he has spread it all over the world as far as he could. For which I am now suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But here's the great blessing. The word of God is not bound. Paul says, yes, I am in chains, but God himself, his message is not chained up. Verse 11 or verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, you might read that word elect and get all freaked out, right? Uh, especially having grown up Lutheran. I, even, I hadn't ever even heard the term elect, let alone election, until then I went to Northwestern and people wanted to argue it about all the time. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But the point is, is don't be scared off by the term elect because really what elect just simply means is the chosen ones, the called ones. So in the end of all things, those who are saved are the elect. When we see the term elect, it simply is those who will be saved, those who are coming to Christ, those who are saved in Christ, that in the end of all things, those who are the church, those who are uh, given and have eternal life. Okay, it's not a term to be scared of, it's simply that. And Paul is saying that he suffers, yes, for Jesus Christ, to know Christ, to understand Christ, to remember Christ, to live out Christ, but he also suffers for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the church that people will come to know God, that people will come to know Jesus. He says that the elect may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, Paul suffers not just so that he himself can be in heaven by himself alone and happy. No, he suffers so that there will be others with him. And that ultimately is why we do ministry. We do ministry, yes, to be faithful, yes, because we're called, but to do ministry because the reason God has called us is that you were not saved for your sake alone. When I was a young kid in our, in our Lutheran church, that was actually something that my pastor said a long time ago, and it's always stuck with me. You are not saved for your sake alone. The Lord has called you to serve him and serve his church, that others may know to come or may come to know him and have eternal life in him. And then this moves Paul to a really interesting thing where he then simply just says the faithful word, the trustworthy word. So, so now Paul has talked about, okay, what does it look like to find trust, to find strength in the grace of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to suffer 
And why do we suffer? What's the prize at the end? And again, the prize is to know Jesus and that others may know Jesus. Those are the two rewards that we know Jesus and others may come to know Jesus. But then Paul just moves into this blessing and he just simply says, here's the word. Here's a faithful word. Pay attention. And what that word is, it is the simple gospel in four sentences, the gospel truth. Sometimes some of you may have heard the, the elevator pitch. If you're, if you're in an elevator and the time is, if you are on the top floor of an elevator and you happen to walk in with a CEO of a company, you have 20 floors to give your elevator pitch. Paul gives his elevator pitch. Here's the gospel, four sentences. Verse 11, and this is strength found in redemption through Jesus and his character. Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we also live with him. The beginning of the gospel. See, we are all dead in our sin, and yet Jesus Christ came to die so that we may have life in him. If you have come to know Jesus, then you have come to know that you are dead to your sin, but you can have life in him. Salvation. That's the start. That we give our life to Jesus Christ knowing that if we put our faith in him as he promised, that you are dead to your sins, you are dead to your trespasses, and you are alive in Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you have never done that in your life. I would urge you, come to Jesus. Stop running away from him. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Stop fleeing from him. Know that you are dead in your sin. Apart from him, you can do nothing and you will have nothing in the end. But in Jesus you can have life because he came to die for you and for me and for us that in him we would have life forever. If we died with him, we will live with him. Salvation. But look at verse 12, point number two in the gospel. For if we endure, we will also reign with him. You see, there's this, this beautiful mystery of salvation, that salvation is, yes, it is that moment of conversion where you are dead and alive and made new in Christ, but then there's this fancy thing called sanctification, which is called being made new. So yes, you have new life, and you are being given new life. Every day, you are being more like Jesus. And that's my prayer. That's my earnest prayer, that you are being sanctified, that you are enduring in that faith, that God is changing you. My prayer is that every day, I will look more like Jesus. That from the day I gave him my life to the day that I am with him in all eternity, that I will look more and more like him. That we will endure up until that time where you get to reign with him in glory. You get to stand with Jesus. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, and you will be glorified. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. But there's another side to it, still in verse 12. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Here's the truth. God loves you. He is sovereign over you. He wants you. But God allows you. And again, in, in your paradigm, maybe it's he makes you or maybe you do it yourself. Whatever way we see here in scriptures, if you reject Jesus, he will ultimately reject you. He will not, by no means just let you go free. He will talk to you. He will put people in your life. God will give every way that you could possibly come to him. He will make sure those avenues are there. But in the end, if you reject God, he will reject you. He will allow you to go the way that you have chosen to go. 
And that is the stark warning in contrast to the gospel, that in the gospel there is life eternal, but for those who are wicked and choose to reject him, there is death eternal. If you deny him, he will deny you. But then here's the last part of that gospel message, the simple gospel. But the Lord will not lose any of his ones. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Here's the truth, that when you have given your life to Christ, when you have put all you are in him, it is not always easy. And sometimes you will fall short. We all fall short. But even when we fall short, even when we are faithless, he will not lose you nor forsake you. He will remain faithful. Because if Jesus was to not be faithful to you in that, when you have given and put your faith in him, if he was to be unfaithful, he would deny him very, his very self. He would break. His character would shatter, and he can't. He is faith. We see in the scriptures, God is holy, God is love. Here the Lord is faithfulness. He is faithfulness. He literally can't not be faithful. And so if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, even along to you, and you have proven yourself faithless, and you've screwed up, and you've messed up, the Lord is calling you back, for he cannot deny himself. He will remain faithful in the end, you can still walk away, and if you choose to reject him entirely and, and go away from him and reject him, he will reject you. But if you've just screwed up along the way, he's calling you come home, for he will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. So how do we endure? Well, we find courage. Be encouraged. Find strength in trusting Jesus and his faithful ones. Even when people screw up, we still put our faith in Jesus and the faithful ones around us. Find strength in suffering for Jesus, the rewards, to gain Jesus and that others would know who he is. You suffer for Jesus and his chosen ones. And then find strength and redemption in your salvation, knowing that when you have given your life to Christ, he will never lose you nor forsake you, for he will remain faithful, for it is who he is. So the question is simply this, will you find strength in Jesus, in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and his plan for you and for his people today? Let's pray. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you have called us and you have given us gifts and abilities and talents and passions to serve you and your people. And Lord, I pray that God, you cause us to listen to you, to be faithful to you and to your call for our lives, Lord, and that we would be faithful to serve you and serve your people. Lord, we love you. And I ask that you come here again now, Lord, that you're glorified in our worship, glorified in our response, and that, Lord, that you would ultimately guide our every step. We love you, Jesus, and we give all this to you in your name.